What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com, and I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. In this episode, we're going to be interviewing Jan Miles. Now, we're going to be talking about The Crown, and specifically the episode Fairy Tale from the latest season, for which Jan was nominated for an Emmy. So if you haven't seen that episode, definitely check it out before you listen to this podcast. With all that said, here's my interview with Jan. What were some of the challenges in editing the Fairy Tale episode? That's a pretty tough question, actually. Editing the crown in general is pretty tough. You know, it's kind of it's quite complex, and they're quite layered and quite nuanced. Mm-hmm. And the, and sort of fairy tale was quite interesting you know, as as a script on paper. It was quite simple. You know, it wasn't. It, it had a sort of quite straight line. Two major sort of dialogue scenes, really, the scene between when Diana, you know, meets Camilla in the restaurant, Menage Trois, mm-hmm. you know, which is sort of two-hander, which is sort of classic Peter Morgan scene. You know, two people talking in a room. And then really another two had which is between the Queen and Charles at the end, you know, when she sort of kind of gives him the conversation about sort of duty and, you know, your sort of purpose of marrying this woman, you know, not running away with the woman that you really love, you know. So everything else kind of goes, you know, around those two scenes. But Ben and I had a meeting with the script together for a lunch, you know, before we started filming. And Ben is a sort of quite visual director and sort of brings a lot to the episodes of The Crown and, and, you know, particularly the ones we've done in the past together. But this one in particular, he was kind of like brought a visual sort of sense and style to it. You know, what's not written down, which is kind of what his role is. But, he got, but Ben really sort of thinks his stuff through. So a lot of stuff that he sort of planted in and shot visually was kind of like how to make when Diana goes into the palace. Mm-hmm. And then she discovers Charles is going on this tour, you know. So how do we convey that sort of six weeks? And what does that six weeks being away from the person that she's got engaged to is then not communicating to her, you know? So we sort of did that and not, it, we did that in a sort of various scenes. So a lot of that stuff wasn't scripted. Sort of example of that is sort of her waking up. We grabbed a couple of shots of her sort of waking up and the alarm clock goes, you know, and I think it's sort of eight seconds of Ultra Fox Vienna playing, you know, it's mm-hmm. sort of. That feels like something, you know, a young girl waking up in the 80s. Then we did stuff like you'd find her sitting on the end of the bed, sort of in silence, and then we'd go to the window, and then we'd go to the chair, and then then the maid would arrive with the letters, and that would kind of be where the scene originally started on paper, but the two shots before wasn't. But So it gave you that sense of isolation, sort of loneliness, and the passage of time. When we shot the ballet lessons, when Ben shot the ballet lessons, he sort of mm-hmm. shot a ton of stuff, but I sort of cut through them as if you kind of felt like they were in them. You were in them for a long time, but yet I probably showed you a scene of her doing a bit of ballet for for like no long, no more than six shots. You were in the scene for sort of under 20 seconds, but yet the way I cut it, you knew that this ballet lesson went on forever. So with like kind of little editing techniques like that, which is really probably the most challenging thing, I think, because it's like when you have a jam-packed episode, you know, you're normally cutting stuff away to get through it or shorten stuff, but... This sort of felt like the challenge was how do you convey that isolation, that loneliness? It was sort of simplicity and sort of a sort of technique I haven't really done. Sort of silences, making those silences quite powerful, you know, and visual, you know. So we, you know, something like there's a good example of it in the in the episode, this spiral staircase, you know, and she goes down the staircase at night to eat the cakes when you sort of first realise that she has some sort of bulimia stuff mm-hmm. that when we start to eat the cakes and then she throws up and then later in the film when she finds out charles you know has made this necklace for camilla 
F and G, you know, Fred and Gladys, we saw, you know, the breaking point, really. She comes up the stairs, you know, so we sort of use this as a sort of visual idea, you know, that that's kind of, that was kind of its challenges. It's sort of how to have a passage of time without boring people to death. You see what I mean? Doing nothing. Yeah, yeah. In a movie, you know, you can shoot the sort of whistling reeds in the field, can't you? You know, that kind yeah. of thing. But this is, you know, this is an hour of the crown. So, so how did we do that? We sort of did it with this simplicity of staying with Diana. There's a scene in the middle, I don't know, you know, when she's watching TV and I, I had her watching Bagpuss, which is a very kind of prominent sort of known TV show from that time. You probably didn't really have it in America, but if you're in the UK, it was sort of known as a, so anyone from the 80s that sort of remembers, you know, grew up in it, you remember that Bagpuss, mm-hmm. that kind of sort of, this is sort of cat, there's this sort of magical shot. And I kind of started that that sound of Bagpuss three or four scenes before. Then I come to the TV and she's watching it. And then I sort of cut through the scene with her watching it in sort of jump cuts, actually. Even though the TV is playing real time, I cut her with a sort of leg out. Then she's got a hand under her chin. Then she sits back. Then the maids come. TV's always playing real time. I'm not cutting through the sound, but I'm cutting through the pictures. So the sort of weirdly, the two things are allowing you Mm -hmm. to mentally understand that this is a grueling, slow part of time, you know? I don't know if there's a name for that technique. For me, it works. You know, the sound is real time, but the pictures I'm jump cutting through. It's funny because you talked about isolation, and the thing that immediately popped into my head was the lack of a relationship with the queen, like her attempts to get information, I guess you could say, and sort of being isolated or removed from everyone uh, and being alone, which works so well. Yeah, that, yeah, the sort of scene, yeah, that was the, that was kind of the stuff where it got really powerful, the fantastic, you know, the stuff where she sits at the phone and that telephone call, you know, it's beautifully shot. She sort of sits there, puts her sort of feet next to the phone, you know, which again conveys this sort of youthfulness, you know, hmm. and she sort of phones and that telephone call, I think originally was, and just asked to speak to the queen but we kind of added a first phone call to sort of see if she could get put through to charles you know and the mm-hmm. guy's a bit away. and then she puts it down and then she rethinks it then asks to get through to the queen and the sort of guy goes off and comes back and says you know she's got appointments and she'll try and get back in touch you know and it's that you know it's like a sort of double poisonous dart isn't it you know we're, when we're making the crown this is we're sort of dramatizing all this you know but that she did have no contact from him mm-hmm. from what sort you know research says that whole tour and he did telephone call and have conversations with Camilla you know that's from what one understands so we had to sort of convey that message economically and briefly as we could but you know I think reportedly she did ride bicycles around the palace and stuff you know Mm -hmm. there was talk that you know she roller skated and stuff the whole sort of journey was how long can we keep her in this oh my god I'm a princess I'm happy I'm in the castle I'm in the palace you know Cinderella basically how long one can keep her sustained happiness because once that once you realize this the problems that you know the problem with this family the problem well, the problem with the relationship Charles' relationship with Camilla and the more she heard it and the more she began to see it how you know the, the, then the story goes very toxic very poisonous quite quickly so it's it's sort of in our hands to sort of keep keep it happy for as long as possible which is kind of a balancing act you know and even then when she would go to that place. We tried to hang on to, she wants this as well. You know, she's going to push for this. You know, she wants, she wanted this. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what she wanted. She met Prince Charming and she wants to marry Prince Charming, you know. So that balancing act was quite complex. You know, the, the Menage Trois meeting, the showdown in the middle of the film, you know, it's been her and Camilla is, 
It's a, it's a very cruel story, and obviously the consequences of this story, as we know, you know, historically, uh, we know the sort of outcome. That's the other part of this season was, you know, I've, I've done other crowns, and I didn't know, you know, I did Aberfan, I didn't know about the, the mining disaster, you know, and I mm-hmm. did a Margaret episode, and I've done various episodes, and some of that history from season one, you know, you have to look up yourself and look at the researches and notes and the... You know, I found myself going to Wikipedia and go, I didn't know there was a spy in the palace. You know, it's amazing, right? You know, Anthony Blunt. But this history I knew, you know, this is now sort of coming into the timeline of my childhood and my memories of it. You know, I remember Princess Diana. So you could feel the history catching up. Did you feel pressure for that because everyone loved Diana so much? Yeah. That's sort of an added pressure to sort of how to handle that. How to tell this story not like a soap opera, right? Mm-hmm. It's a history lesson, a dramatized history lesson. Yeah, it's a look behind the curtain, right? It's the, it's the glance that we don't get to see, right? We don't get, you know, you go and stand outside Buckingham Palace, you don't get to see what's behind the gates, right? What's inside it. And that's how the story, storytelling of The Crown is always told, you know, but how do you handle it in a way that is now you're really feeling the historical bloodlines, the threads touching quite raw nerve endings. You know, as the example of, you know, in the scene I did with Diana, when she sort of finds out about the bracelet and then she does that, she goes and does the ballet dance, you know, and then sort of goes nuts at the end. You know, that originated from her rehearsing that scene to attract from Cher because that she wanted to dance something she knew, you know? Mm-hmm. So even though she starts with the ballet, and then goes slightly sort of contemporary into this sort of crazy dance at the end that sort of, you know, that she started with Cher, then I recut the scene, taking Cher off it, obviously, because Cher's not even from the 80s, you know, mm-hmm. so that was just sort of, that was just for her to dance to. Then I used Martin Phipps' score, and that stayed on there for a while. The scene sort of, I don't think it really changed that much. I sort of cut it probably a couple of times, you know. And then sort of Peter mentioned to me, I think we were kind of done with it, and he sort of went, you know, have you ever thought about using source music you know like mm-hmm. you know from on the ballet and i said well funny enough you know i, I sort of played around and share was on there and i did play with a couple of things but so i asked the supervisor to send some music over i think we sort of tried a bit of kate bush and stuff like that and then in that bouquet of tracks there was a song for guy you know elton john and it i remember sort of putting it on and having sort of goosebumps you know this wasn't something we sort of discussed at great length you know it sort of happened you know like how things happen i guess they're meant to happen you know that would, you know i'm a great believer in that you know like i mean we've talked about it peter said i've changed the music i speak to sarah bridge sarah bridge sends some music over there's a bouquet of tracks i put in song for guy and there's that sort of top shot. If you, if you sort of ever open, look at the opening scene of that, you know, she sort of walks in, she sets herself up, she lines her feet up, she does a sort of three, four, 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 four on the front foot, four, four on the back foot. I then cut to that beautiful sort of silhouette on the side. And I go to the top shot just as the music sort of kicks in, she sort of wiggles her hips like just perfectly in time with the opening mm-hmm. of that cue. And I kind of tweaked the scene a little bit to it and then decided to go... This is the thing about source music, right? Source music is that thing, isn't it? Like, you know, you watch different shows. Source music can come from, you know, quite often come from the cast area, yeah. come from the record player, you know, sort of you do the needle drop version, right? But this sort of didn't really have a play. You know, you could assume that she put the track on in the room, but I kind of sort of, I, did, I sort of didn't really care for that. I was a bit like, look, this is okay. This is magical, right? If we can just, we can just think it's a bit of playback. It doesn't matter, not concern us. But my worry was how to get, how to end it. So then I decided sort of just to go, well, what if I go out 
of that track when she starts to go nuts back into the score for Martin Phipps. Yeah. And I sort of found a mixing place that kind of shouldn't have worked, but kind of did work. You know, it sort of it echoes one collides with the other. And it's like her colliding with the establishment. You know, it's her colliding with, you know, this family, this world she's being thrown into. That sort of metaphorically, Elton John's track smashing into Martin Phipps's music score whilst Diana sort of freaks out was well, that was it you know that's her moment that's the moment where she's sort of going I'm in but I'm pushing back you know I'm fighting back I'm gonna marry him you know and then, then I did those few shots afterwards where she sort of sits in the bath and you think about how few economical shots again that this is what I was saying about how difficult the technicality of using few shots goes from her in the bath to him in the car at the airport, coming out of the airport, goes, he gets in the car, goes to Highgrove. We mix through from in the bath into Highgrove morning. Morning cuts into a room where there's a silhouette of Camilla smoking. In the background, he's outside, stood there like a soldier. Car pulls up, picks him up, cut inside, cut to Charles. You hear the choir from the rehearsal of the church. And then you cut to the ashtray where she puts the ashtray in and you've got the F and G bracelet in the background. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like eight shots to convey a huge moment in storytelling. That's kind of what I was saying. Was rather than having lots of scenes telling you lots of things, it, we just decided to do things very simply and briefly and sort of elegantly to respect this story, I guess, to sort mm-hmm. of go, look, we're not going to just ram this down your throat because you, you as an audience are smart enough to know it as well. We're just going to show you how these people maneuver and journey through that to understand it themselves, you know? I don't know what scene it would be called, but like the hold on yes, where you're waiting to hear whether or not she says yes, and you go to Charles for that. How did you approach that moment? In the montage of saying yes to get to get wed or mm-hmm. yes at the altar, at the rehearsal. The yes to get wed on the phone? Yeah, on the phone. Yeah, that's, it's interesting because that kind of played with time, isn't it? So. Mm-hmm. It sort of starts off real time and then starts to play. Well, it's just it's a telephone call that everybody's on a different telephone call, isn't it? Which is yeah. kind of and actually in my head they sort of played it, but they're not you know they're not all linked on the same call. They're all, all on separate calls at different times. But somehow that that thread through was everybody else was answering everybody else's questions or or answers. You know, with I think my favourite part of that was I think we did shoot Diana sort of saying yes, you know, yes please. But then I sort of played it. What did she say? And then sort of it just felt really natural to come back from Charles again to support that happiness, you know. That's what mm-hmm. like I was saying before, you know, to you don't want to tip it. You want you want everyone to be happy in this scenario. And everyone, you know, oh they were happy. You can see the cream was here. And I think mm-hmm. genuinely they were happy. You know, they were happy. There was happiness in that too. You know, it wasn't all bad, you know, like uh, in all relationships, there's unhappiness and happiness, right? So, uh, that, like I said, well, I wanted to strengthen that notion of, and I think when it came from Charles, it just felt so much more powerful. It's like, what did they say? You know, and then there's a, I think I did an edit where I cut to Diana, she's about to say it, and then I cut to Charles going, yes. And then everyone, whenever we go around, everyone going, oh, 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 and then Anne's yeah. like, oh, you know. So it was kind of, Elon, to make it come from him for me just felt, stronger and more powerful you know mm-hmm. yeah i could have played it the other way you know i could have played it romantically but i guess in my head i guess the sort of feeling is it's like how to stop it feeling like a soap opera you know yeah because you really are telling stories that can be very easily soapy you know and it's not is there a scene or a moment in this episode that you're most proud of 
in terms of your editing? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, this probably the sort of thing I, that sort of really sort of changed it for me was kind of the montage at the end, you know, pre-wedding, which I sort of cut, you know, quite quickly, you know, I sort of came to that quite quickly, you know, so I was scripted that it was going to end on Diana, you know, walking with the dress, you know, that was the mm -hmm. plan. And that, that so that rather than child and I can, that kind of came pretty quick but that was kind of like i know there's gonna be some people going what what you did, we didn't go to we don't get to go to the wedding it's that was a decision that was made from peter at scripts that you know we do we're not we don't sort of normally do the weddings in the crown you know do, we've done bits and bobs the coronation you know on the way to margaret's wedding was, mm -hmm. but to sort of remount that wedding the, the wedding of the century was sort of near <laughs> impossible right it would have been and also it's something you know, it's on YouTube, it's in various documentaries, you know, and that was decided, but there was something niggling me. I sort of was niggled. I was a bit like, we're not going to the wedding, right? But how do I sort of let you go to the wedding? Is there any way of doing it? So I started to look at, and it's something Ben and I have done in, in our episodes in the past, where we've always been quite cheeky and put something in the end roller, an image. Yeah. On on Beryl, I think I did a picture of the, the photograph of Margaret when she was taken naked in the bath, you know? Yeah. Yeah. In the end roller, Abavan, we did a shot of the children that sort of playing in the shadows outside. The sort of it was taken from you know somewhere else, but it was kind of like metaphorically. So they're like the adult versions of the children, the adults yeah. they didn't grow into to become. You know that's kind of that was the meaning behind it. So so I went down this path of what do I do for this? And I thought, wouldn't it be nice if I can give the audience some part of the wedding? You know, so for the people that immediately go, oh no, no wedding. So I looked through ton. I looked through the archive and I rewatched all of the wedding, and I had access to, you know, BBC archive material, ITV. You know, this stuff was broadcast on so many TV channels, right? And I had all this high quality footage, and I started going through it, and I found myself sort of mesmerised by, you know, now having working on the crown, but remembering the wedding, not remembering back then when I watched the wedding, that you knew what was going to happen to their relationship. Yeah. When you watch that wedding footage back now, you see little signs in it of sort of her unhappiness. You know, there's mm -hmm. little moments in it that even though she's gone through with it, if they go to wave on the balcony at Buckingham Palace, I think he reaches for her hand. He sort of, she moves her hand away. You know, it's like yeah. it's, been, it's been noticed. Since, but I never watched any of this stuff about, I've never watched the documentaries post Diana's wedding. Yeah. So I've only started to look at this stuff because of, you know, working on this season of The Crown. Anyway, I was trawling through the stuff. I eventually found this shot that was in St. Paul's Cathedral. It was a, someone, some, some BBC cameraman managed to put a camera up right on top of the sphere, you know, yeah. at the top of the ceiling, looking down, and you could see the aisle, and you could see the thousands of people in pews, and you just saw this little dot of Charles and Diana, you know, the white dress and from above. And this shot kind of did this really 1980s video pullback, you know, sort of zoom. Mm -hmm. There was the vowels and stuff like that. And I sort of thought, okay, I'm going to use that. So I put that in the end roller. I got the credits on top of it. And I thought, that kind of does it. But what's that, what sound do I use? There was a guy, you know, journalists talking mm -hmm. over the top going, and now such and such has arrived, and which is some of the stuff I've used in the TVs and in the episode. And then I went past the vowels and clicked on it and found Rumsfeld, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and his voice. And I was like, what a voice. Mm -hmm. This guy's voice is incredible. And I started playing him, and he did this sermon after the vows, where he talked about marriage and fairy tales. And I was like, what? And then he started to talk about what marriage means and the meaning of marriage and what two people do to one another. I mean, 
And I was like, this is extraordinary. And the end of that piece of dialogue, this is not the end. This is where the adventure begins. And I just thought, oh, my God, this is perfect. This is it. So I started that his voiceover from the point where Queen, the Queen steps out to leave, you know, with her, with, when she's dressed, she sort of looks at Philip, sort of Philip has a look of like, you know, we're doing this. And she has that look, a slight hesitation of knowing, you know, knowing, knowing her son, I guess, you know, his unhappiness. Yeah. And that's where that sort of voiceover starts. You know, I started on sort of her leaving and, and, it, it, and it timed perfectly to the end. I think I only had to sort of, I think I changed a couple of lines and it ends on it. And that's when I swapped Charles's face and Diana's position in that story because I saw her, her leaving. And he, even though he was in a different room, his sort of the single on his face where he looks up was like he was looking at her leave. It was like they connected the two of them sort of going on this adventure where the adventure is about to begin. So in my mind, even though what you've just seen is an episode, I wanted to circle back to that thing of, they're going through with this and this is where marriage starts and whatever happens next you've got to watch the next five six episodes you know where this story is headed but i wanted to leave it with this yeah. whatever comes of marriage this is where this adventure begins you know in, in sort of a positive framing of that right because yeah. i don't want you to sort of go oh my god this is a car crash because yes it is a car crash you can you know it's a car crash you know i know the audience knows, but I wanted to put that voiceover felt to me felt so poignant to anybody's marriage, right? When they're saying they've gone, they've done the I do's and so someone, you know, in that wrapped up in that kind of religious connotation of sort of two people do the very best they can to one another and things can kind of will, will be fine, right? And that's kind of where that sort of comes. So for me, even though it's not a picture edit, mm-hmm. It is a picture. It's a sound edit, but obviously the sound edits manipulate my pictures. So I guess that was that was probably the, the most important step in editing for me because it's something I discovered by looking at lots of research and then finding something and thinking, God, this really works. Why should this work? And does this work? And I put it on. And when I played it for Peter, Peter was like, my God, that's amazing. I'm doing something here. You know, if you think about it, I'm doing something where we're dramatizing something from the past. So it's a sort of history show. These two people in it from history are acting this, but then I'm playing something from the real wedding, but it's actually ahead of the bits where they did I do. So I'm leap. I'm now playing something from the future, but in the past, if that makes sense. Making a program in the past, but I'm playing it in a way that's in the edit that's from the future. They haven't actually got married yet. And that I thought was pretty kind of neat. I thought that was kind of something I thought, I've never really done something like that. You know, I don't know what made me think it should work, but I just believed in it, I guess. And, and I think it works really well. You know, I think it really does work well. It's just something that some people probably don't know. You know, it's good that I'm talking to you about this because if someone then, you know, to sort of just listens to this, then they'll, they'll know that this stuff is kind of not something we normally do. But it's, I think, I think all storytelling, how you tell stories, sort of anything's possible, right? You know, you know, sort of. You could look at any montage and go, how does that montage work? It probably shouldn't work, but they work, don't they? You know, so that's the sort of joy of editing. So that was kind of, I think that's the most enlightened version of editing I've ever encountered. Now, I have one last question that I like to ask everyone I interview. What would you say is your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch? That's a really loaded question, isn't it? Guilty pleasure. Really guilty pleasure. Guilty pleasure's then got to be, does that mean sort of something? Guilty pleasure means... I shouldn't be watching it, right? So what I've been telling people is basically it's like Sunday afternoon, you have nothing to do and you're surfing the channels and you see a movie and you're like, I have to watch that. 
I'm not quite sure I can put on my thing, sort of Russia, Russia with love, probably like a James Bond, an early James okay. Bond. You know? Yeah. With Sean Connery, possibly. I sort of know by watching it, I'd probably know, I'd go, I shouldn't watch this. I sort of, it was never really brilliant when I first watched it, but it's sort of tangled in sort of misogynistic kind of innuendos, isn't it? And mm -hmm. you kind of look back at them in this sort of time thinking, God, they creak. They're really creaky and feel really dated. Yeah. One of those, I wouldn't put my finger on which one, but I would probably feel slightly guilty by watching it on a Sunday afternoon. It would either be that or, or Basic Instinct with sort yeah. of, you know, one of those kind of in that sweet spot of the sort of Michael Douglas brilliance of sort yeah. around that time. So I know I've broken the, I've not answered this as clear as you probably think, but no, I think it's fantastic. I think early James Bond's one of the, one of the probably best ones. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's sort of, they, they, they do pop up. Interestingly, yeah. you know, you probably know we have sort of BBC and then we have ITV and channel Four. these sort of channels here, you know, that yeah. still they're being beamed out via aerials and satellite dishes, you know, that aren't part of the sort of big streaming giants, you know, and people, yeah. you know, lots of people around the country watch and they do relentlessly, religiously put James Bond on on Sunday afternoons, you know, mm. but it would, it would be one of those and probably one of the, one of the Sean Connery's ones because he was such a sort of handsome, yeah. well-dressed man. But, you know, there's behavior in those films you look at and go, oh my God, that is <laughs> <Yeah>. completely outrageous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for letting me interview you today. My pleasure. No, thanks for reaching out. You know, it's really good to talk. So that was my interview with Jan. I'd like to thank Jan Miles for joining me. I'd also like to thank Evan Winch for cutting this episode. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.